It's Wednesday, March 4th. I am Martine Powers. This is an election update from Post Reports. So who ended up winning or quote-unquote winning, on Super Tuesday? Well, there's winning in two senses. There's winning in the sense of how many delegates were accrued. Philip Bump covers politics for the fix. That is uh, to be determined to some extent. 14 states, each individual congressional district in all of those states, American Samoa, all of those contests will yield delegates based on how people did in each of those contests. And as such, the winner of each of those 180-plus contests is to be determined. But the real winner is Joe Biden. Tuesday for nothing. For those, for those who've been knocked down, counted out, left behind, this is your campaign. Joe Biden uh, was the winner on Tuesday simply by virtue of the fact that he won more states, but particularly because he won more states when everyone a week ago figured his campaign had maybe a couple more days to go. Just a few days ago, the press and the pundits had declared the campaign dead. So I'm here to report. We are very much alive! We really saw a surge for Biden in South Carolina. He won South Carolina in convincing fashion and then really did a very good job. His campaign did a very good job of coalescing his past competitors around his candidacy. And the next thing you know, on Super Tuesday, he sees this huge national surge. He sees a surge in all these different states and ends up winning not only southern states, which is where Bernie Sanders did poorly in 2016, but wins states like Minnesota, Massachusetts, which a week ago, again, we're saying, well, it looks like Bernie Sanders can win those states and knock out Elizabeth Warren and Amy Klobuchar. Instead, it ends up being Biden. And then came South Carolina. They had something to say about it. Told well, when he got to Super Tuesday, it'd be over. Well, it may be over for the other guy. So, where and with whom did Biden do particularly well last night? The shortest way to answer that question is to say that Biden did well with black voters in particular in the South. There's nuance there. The nuance is that, for example, he did better in Texas uh, with white voters than did Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders did better with Latino voters in Texas, but Biden squeaked out a win in Texas. Biden also did well in Minnesota and Massachusetts, which obviously is a different demographic base than North Carolina uh, or Alabama. He showed strength with white Democrats that I think people may not have anticipated that he would do, which I think is important moving forward in the race. Sanders did well in states like Colorado. He did well in California. He did well, of course, in Vermont. But there's a really important asterisk that should be applied to Sanders' good showing California. And it's going to get better over time. I'll point this out for uh, the simple reason that Bernie Sanders was able to bank a lot of early votes and absentee votes when he was doing much better in the race before this big Biden surge. And so a lot of the California vote was already done by, you know, a week ago before last weekend, before the Biden surge. And that all went heavily to Bernie Sanders. We saw exit polling showed that the people who made up their minds in the last three days, Biden won them by about, you know, 10, 15 points. Sanders won everyone who voted before that by a much wider margin. And it really just seems like Biden was a lot of people's acceptable second choice. That once the the field started to thin and people were looking around and saying like, well, there is a candidate that I love, but there's also the candidate that I could survive seeing as the nominee. And for a lot of people, that was Biden in a way that I think is not true for Bernie Sanders. Really what we're talking about here is there are a lot of Democrats who really like Bernie Sanders' message. They like his policy ideas. They like the idea of Medicare for all. They like the idea of uh, college education being affordable or free or paid for by the government. They like they like these things that Bernie Sanders has put forward, but they really like the idea of Donald Trump losing more, 
right? And we see that in exit poll after exit poll. The thing which is driving people, the main motivation, their main concern is having Donald Trump lose. After Sanders emerged as the frontrunner, people started to be like, okay, well, what does this actually mean in the context of him taking on Trump? And it certainly is the case that there are arguments to be made that he can beat Donald Trump in November. Uh, but polling has shown that it probably is more likely that Joe Biden can beat Trump in, in November. And that really spurred a lot of people to be like, okay, then this is the guy we should put forward. And a big part of the argument that Sanders had been making about how he can beat Trump in November is this idea of young people and that he is the candidate that can activate young people, people who would not otherwise vote. But tonight, I tell you with absolute confidence, we are going to win the Democratic nomination. We are going to defeat Trump. But what we saw on Tuesday night didn't necessarily support that. Because we are putting together an un unprecedented, grassroots, multi-generational, multi-racial movement. What we've seen over the course of the primaries doesn't really support that. This was his electability pitch. You make me the nominee and I'm going to bring out these people who don't normally vote. And to be fair, that worked to some extent for Donald Trump. Donald Trump was the beneficiary in 2016 both of increased turnout from people who don't normally vote, who were very motivated by his campaign, and from Hillary Clinton, both having this perception that she was going to win and not being a particularly... uh, uh, She didn't have a lot of enthusiasm powering her candidacy. So it made sense that Sanders could make that case. The problem is that unlike Trump, his core base of support is a group that really doesn't vote very often. There are a lot of reasons why. I mean, we tend to talk about young people not voting and we tend to talk about it almost in a pejorative sense. But really what it is, is it's easier to vote if you don't move all the time because you don't have to re-register. It's easier to vote if you have lived in the same house because you own the house because you know where your polling place is. It's easier to vote if you're not working on Election Day, right? There are all these reasons that young people are disadvantaged and it is harder for them to vote, which makes it less likely for them to vote. But it also means that if you are a candidate who's relying on those young people, you're in trouble because you've got a big hill you have to climb even before you start trying to cobble together your coalition. I also just want to talk briefly about some of the other candidates. So former Mayor Mike Bloomberg did not do well. He is now out of the race, which happened very fast. Um, But I'm wondering about Elizabeth Warren. What I see happening is a lot of folks trying to turn voting into some complicated strategy. She was having a rally in Detroit and Michigan of a place that did not vote on Tuesday night. And our colleague Annie Linsky, political reporter, she was with Warren and Warren's camp last night in Detroit. She was there to kind of look down the calendar and rally people for states beyond Super Tuesday, you know, already. So here's my advice. Cast a vote that will make you proud. There is this incredible energy. She is talking to thousands of people when she makes these stops. But everybody that I spoke to last night said that they didn't believe she was going to be the nominee. And so what Annie was saying was that even though Elizabeth Warren hasn't said anything about dropping out of the race, there is this growing sense of dread among her supporters that this is just not going to be a winnable race for her. An aide from our campaign this morning told the Washington Post that they are reassessing the campaign right now. So it just, there weren't any glimmers of hope really on the horizon for her. And the achievements that she was sort of hoping to hang the campaign on and and stay in the race just did not materialize last night. And it, it does put her in a difficult spot. But prediction has been a terrible business. And the pundits have gotten it wrong over and over. 
I think they've been realistic all along that she had an uphill fight. I think that they recognize that Sanders' presence in the campaign made it very hard for her to move uh, to get past him simply because, you know, he came into this thing with this core base of support that he built in 2016, something that Warren was not able to do. That said, yeah, I mean, I think they are right to assume, as are we all, that Elizabeth Warren is not going to have a path to the nomination. But I also feel like if I'm a if I'm an Elizabeth Warren supporter, if I am someone who, you know, pays some attention to politics, I'm going to look at what people were saying a week ago about Joe Biden. And who knows, right? You know, one of the lessons I tried to take from 2016 is all the things I think I know can very quickly be proven totally wrong. So I'm curious what you think the path forward is for Bernie Sanders. Because when we heard from our colleague Robert Costa, who was with Senator Sanders in Vermont on Tuesday. Behind the scenes, the Sanders campaign was taken aback by how quickly centrist Democrats were rallying around Biden. He said that even the campaign was surprised by how quickly Biden has become this, like, formidable frontrunner. They thought that those exits may come after Super Tuesday. For them to come before Super Tuesday put Sanders in a difficult position. The Sanders campaign is focused on March 10th, Michigan, Missouri, and other states where they feel like they can do well with younger white voters, younger African-American voters, liberal voters. Uh, they also are looking ahead to states like Wisconsin, Midwestern states, to make the case that Biden is not perfectly positioned in the industrial Midwest. So Michigan on March 10th, and then in a few weeks, Wisconsin will be major tests for Sanders. The key to the Democratic delegate contest is the fact that the Democrats, unlike the Republicans, allocate their delegates proportionally, right? So if you have a two-person race, what you need is you need to win big states by a big margin, which is what Biden did in South Carolina, for example. That math has always been tricky for Bernie Sanders because his strength tends to be that he does very well in states without many delegates. I'm also curious if, from what we've seen so far in the primary process, if anything in terms of either voter turnout or this kind of coalescing around the two poles of the Democratic Party, if that tells us anything about what November will look like. I think the results from Super Tuesday do tell us something about November, which is that the value proposition that Joe Biden brought into his candidacy this time around was that he would be able to reach out to voters that both voted Democratic in 2018 and handed Democrats the House, but also those voters who in 2016 made the difference in giving Donald Trump the presidency by virtue of his narrow wins in Wisconsin, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. Biden's entire proposition was, I can get done what we didn't, what we collectively didn't get done in 2016 by virtue of my base of appeal. And I think we saw him deliver on that uh, on Tuesday in particular. We saw, you know, working class voters. We saw uh, whites without college degrees. There's a surge in in turnout uh, among whites without college degrees in Virginia, for example. They went overwhelmingly for Biden. We saw a broader surge in Democrats without degrees that, that end up the same way in Virginia. Joe Biden said, I can get these voters. And at least in the primary so far, he's been able to do so. There's a sense that last night was good and it kind of marked you know, a turning point or another turning point in the campaign. And our colleague Cleve Woodson, he was with Biden in Los Angeles on Super Tuesday, and he kind of spoke to that sentiment. And so a lot of the, you know, supporters that that I talked to over the last couple of days have, you know, fully expected that he would do well on Super Tuesday. They were extremely optimistic and, and, and didn't take it as a surprise. What they were trying to see was, okay, does this put him in the mix as a front runner? Does this put him even with Bernie Sanders? How will things shake out in the end? 
And make no mistake about it, this campaign that will send Donald Trump packing, this campaign is taking off. Join us. I would say that the outstanding question that I have after Super Tuesday is what kind of race we're going to see moving forward. Are we going to see a race such as we saw in 2004 when the Democratic Party and the Democratic voters very quickly tried to coalesce around the front runner, which at that point was John Kerry, simply because they wanted to move forward and get into a head-to-head battle against a Republican president who they vehemently disliked? Or is this going to be a race like 2008, in which you have two competitors who are running neck and neck from now through June contesting every single delegate that is up for grabs in an effort to try and either get just ahead of the other candidate or potentially reach the majority that is needed to clinch the nomination. I think what we saw in 2016 gives some sense that Bernie Sanders is probably not going to just simply step aside, that he will keep contesting. I think it's likely that assuming that Biden's support doesn't once again collapse, that something doesn't happen uh, with his candidacy, that we'll probably see a pretty grueling fight moving forward. But that's the unanswered question. Philip Bump covers politics for The Fix. Annie Linsky, Cleve Wootson, and Robert Costa reported from the campaign trail. That's it for this segment of Post Reports. Full episodes of our show come out every weekday afternoon. You can subscribe at postreports.com or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Martine Powers. Thanks for listening.